Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? I'm getting nervous and excited as free agency approaches. How are you? The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect. With many teams strutting their stuff, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. I'm doing okay. Um, as we are going to move into the second part of our 2020 draft recaps, in in the first part, we talked about some of our favorite picks in this draft, some of our favorite fits, and started with uh, a few of the ones that we didn't like as much. So, we're going to continue with those picks that we aren't as big of fans of, and just get into some general takeaways and and things to track and trends, and then go to our catching eye as usual as we start to prepare and continue to talk a little bit about 2021, which is a breath of fresh air by by all accounts so let's go uh, same caveat as in part one we're recording this on friday november 20th at 4 p.m eastern which means the free agency is about two hours away so if any of these teams tr- change dramatically between now and wednesday when this will be released we didn't know about it we'll try to account for that in places where it's relevant but uh, we don't think it'll be relevant in too many spots. If you listen to part one, we, like we, we talked about that a little bit with the Knicks and Obi, um, we're, we're accounting for it as much as we can, but uh, we don't know if something big happens. All right, so the next pick, or our, our, I got our first pick that we're going to talk about in this one is the 10th overall pick. Uh, the first, I think, real big shocker of the night, which was Jalen Smith to the Phoenix Suns. Um, certainly one that surprised us all. Um, baffled us all to some extent uh, and just kind of a confusing uh, value here uh, for a Suns team that's kind of showed to just not, not really care about consensus and shown that they kind of have a type in recent years just targeting size and shooting and that's certainly what they got with Jalen Smith um, and a really really good versatile shooter in, at 6'10 with some predator skill but just the value in the defense all of that is really concerning and doesn't really make a lot of sense with their current roster construction given that he is a five, and they have their center of the future in DeAndre Ayton in place. But that's that's kind of the problem, is that is he a five? Is he a four? What on earth is Jalen Smith? He is a good 
help rim protector, but really immobile, cannot cover ground, has these mini tiny strides because he's got these high, narrow, and stiff hips. Um, I guess like his best movement ability is sliding laterally, but like I don't know how relevant that is in in anything because uh, he like can't turn or cover ground. Um, and then he's he's obviously very weak and will struggle immensely as as a primary rim protector trying to contest shots where he has guys getting into his body or where he has you know centers posting him up or trying to finish through him. Um, offensively the shooting is interesting like he has shot versatility as a guy who's six foot ten or eleven uh that's interesting but it's not uh i don't think it's worth a a top 10 pick uh for especially when when the positional fit is is just so so weird uh this was a stunner this was a real real stunner it's just the really confusing thing. It's just the lineups. Like, how does he optimize their best their best units, both offensively and defensively? Like, I assume you you ideally maybe like they'll slide him in. They're gonna want to slide him in at the four next to CP three, Devin Booker, and Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton. I mean, does he help you more offensively or defensively than Cam Johnson? Like maybe as like a weak side rim protector, but even there, he's questionable. Um, you you play with a backup five in some scenarios. Um, how much does he really help you there? It's just really confusing as he, he has the skills that they look for um, and just the, the height and the shooting. So certainly, I mean, they can run some really funky lineups um, with, with their size and their shooting. I just like, I, I'm waiting to see them run a, a Booker, Bridges, Cam Johnson, Sticks, and DeAndre Ayton lineup. Um, just just put in all of the height and, and, and a lot of the shooting. Um, not necessarily a good unit, but uh, uh, certainly uh, a fascinating one. Yeah, I mean, just the, the I mean, the, the more concerning thing for me, it, it's not just the reach for Smith. It's the the fit and how he works with the lineup and how he works with his team that is now in definite position to make the playoffs and, and make some real noise in the West. Um, and could have certainly used someone like I don't know, like Devin Vassell, who is right on the board and went one spot later. So, I, I, although I do think the reach is worth addressing because Phoenix has now done this two years in a row. Um. There's not really a problem with with going and and getting your guy, so to speak. But there is a problem when the it's such a reach that you could have just moved down and still gotten the guy and picked up additional assets. That's really poor asset management. And I just want to be like clear that this is not Cam Johnson because while Cam Johnson was a bit of a reach, like he was a, approximately a top twenty prospect at least for me. I think more more or less similar to that for you. Like we liked Cam Johnson, it, it they should have traded back. I still think, but you know that worked out fine because he's on the wing. He's a very seamless fit. Like that's the thing you have. To, you don't have to make any uh, role adjustments to get Cam yeah. Johnson to work. Don't need to make any concessions for him to slide. Exactly. In. It's it's very seamless. He's a valuable commodity. He's huge. He can shoot. Jalen Smith was a worse prospect, a bigger reach. Um, I, I think they could have traded down to get him. I, you have to make concessions to get value out of him. I still don't even know if that's possible to do in the NBA. I don't know that there is a role in which you extract that much value from him. Uh, it's not the same thing as Cam Johnson. It, it's the same only in that it was a, a reach in poor asset management. Um, even even if it if it works out, it's going to work out in such a specialized way that it's not analogous to Cam Johnson, which was, I think, a much more understandable pick um, and a reflection of kind of what's valuable in the league. 
Yeah, I just we'll, we'll talk about more the value of shooting, but just these teams and the Suns, especially their their size and their shooting, they they're willing to to ignore all asset management and, and all consensus to to kind of go get their guy. Which again, it it's it, it certainly a it, it was a shocking move, um, and one that's definitely questionable, uh, especially given who was on the board at the time and who went right after him to the Spurs at eleven. I mean, yeah. All right, it's time. Aaron Neesmith, fourteen to the Celtics. Um, do you want me to, to go through why I don't like it first, or do you want me to make the case for him on the Celtics that I, that has occurred to me that I think is a reasonable case to be made, even though I don't buy it and still don't like it? Sure. You, you, you Let's make that case. Why not? Okay. Here is the case for Aaron Neesmith on the Celtics. The Celtics do not have an offense that incorporates a, a heavy amount of off-screen bombing. Um, they also haven't really had the personnel for it. The only guy that they've had in that mold who's really an off-screen bomber is Carson Edwards. But Carson Edwards has the problem of being five foot ten or eleven, and therefore, when you see Carson Edwards, I think it's a very reasonable assumption to make, uh, especially in light of the fact that that you know that he's a great shooter, that he's just a point guard, and you can play him as a point guard. Um, that is not the case. Carson Edwards can't really dribble. He can't do anything inside of the inside of the arc. He is an off-screen bomber. He's a shooting specialist. Um, that's not how the Celtics use him, and it's understandable. So could you make the argument that a guy who's 6'6 and an off-screen shooting specialist will be used differently, that the offense will change to incorporate that off-screen shooting? I could see the case being made. I don't really buy it. I don't think that coaches tend to uh, really uh, overhaul their offenses to accommodate 14th picks. Especially um, when your team is already very good and has an established offense in place. With yeah, the when, you have, when, you have two, when you have two elite offensive players already on your team. Um, I don't buy that. I think that, you know, we won't see that. But you can make the argument that it'll happen. And then they can extract more offensive value out of Nisbet. You can make the argument that the hitch in his forward momentum pull-ups is correctable. Uh, and if that's the case, he can fit more seamlessly into what Boston currently does. And I think maybe the strongest argument is that you can be higher on Neesmith defensively in Boston than you would be elsewhere because he is 6'6", strong with a 6'11", wingspan, and has shown genuine facility protecting the rim as a help defender, that he has had some really good moments there, um, and that Boston is a spot where they have been very aggressive, getting guys positioned on the helpline, ready to deter shots at the rim, from that wing position. So I think you could certainly make the argument that Neesmith uh, is a is in a really good spot to extract defensive value from him, even though he doesn't have the best awareness, mobility, lateral quickness. Um, and then on the ball, the hope would be that the lateral quickness is less of an issue because he's long and strong and that he, he has some recovery tools there. So yeah. I think you could make the argument that a little bit of tweaks to the offense um, and it's a spot to extract a lot out of him defensively, that it could work. Um, I'm skeptical of, of these points. I, I don't know that they're the case. And even if they are the case, I don't know that he returns that top 14 value or is better than the guys that they passed on for him. Uh, I also should say that the the analogies that some people want to draw to Duncan Robinson are pretty ridiculous. Neesmith is not that level of shooter. He doesn't have that kind of range. He can't shoot off the dribble. Um, he doesn't have Robinson's playmaking ability if he does get run off the line. Um, he uh and, and then crucially the Celtics don't have Bam out of bio. They don't have a guy who can flip screen angles like that, who can handle like that, who can make decisions like that. They 
like maybe Grant Williams is that someday. I that seems unlikely. Bam Adebayo is kind of one of one, uh, and neither Bam nor Duncan Robinson is himself without the other. Uh, they're they're you know kind of a singular entity. Um, so Neesmith is not Duncan Robinson. That's not replicable. That's not how the Celtics' offense fun- functions. So that's the case for Neesmith. Um, Ben, do you want to get into like the broad case against him? Yeah, I mean the the thing is like l- like you kind of mentioned with not returning value. Even if all of all of that does go well, um, it, and all of it succeeds, um, he still is is lagging so far behind in the areas of of decision making and handling and, and advantage creation. Which even if even if the Celtics commit to using Neesmith off of motion and never give him perimeter um perimeter attempts that 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 either you know so sorry either there's the, the situation where they fully commit to him as an off-screen bomber and don't give him any perimeter reps which is just probably not a great use of the 14th pick in terms uh you know uh, an off-screen bomber who's not Duncan Robinson and won't help you at all in any other way offensively and but if they do give him perimeter reps you know decide yeah uh we'll tweak on, ball, offense, on ball reps on ball reps is what I mean yeah just you know, with what the Celtics asked their perimeter guys to do, just have that dribble pass shoot skill set. If there, you know, is that um, any any desire or decision to say, you know, we'll, we'll try to play Neesmith on the ball. Um, you know, he he was a lottery pick. Um, we think he can do a little bit of this. That's that's not going to be a good situation for him. Just just because he doesn't have the the burst or or the advantage creation ability or the decision making or the playmaking or. Or, or the or the pull up shot creation or the on ball difficult shot making or the finishing to to really be confident and and competent on the ball as as kind of a, a self operator so that especially as you get deeper into the playoffs that 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 becomes a struggle um, and then and then and then defensively you know if the lateral quickness isn't good enough someone who can maybe be targeted by by, by better teams in the playoffs as well. Um, obviously it, it's always harder to target bigger wings, but if, you know, if you have someone who's really able to, of, of carving up his lateral quickness deficiencies, yeah, uh, he, 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 he's going to lose value in the playoffs, which is, which is really important. Um, yeah. so. and then just a few more concerning points. It's another wing now in Boston who is low feel, bad decision, communi- bad defensive communicator, bad decision maker, um, who has, has poor awareness off the ball, who loses guys off the ball. Um, and then to address the shooting, he is not a 52.2% shooter. The 115-shot sample from his sophomore year is about 50% smaller than his freshman year sample. Uh, his his freshman, or I guess the, the fresh, freshman year sample is about 50% larger uh, of 175 three-point attempts at 33.7%. Um, so his, his aggregate across the two years is 41% on 290 attempts. I think that's about what he, his true talent yeah. level is. And that's still not even a third of the way to, to a real stable sample. Like, yeah, I think that, that that's about what he was probably as a college shooter. And in the NBA, you're probably looking at a high thirties guy. Uh, he's a very good shooter. He is not a 52.2% shooter. He's, he wasn't the best shooter in the draft. Um, I know that people really like setting that number cause it looks good. It's such a small number of attempts. And it, it, there's just no way that I think you can be intellectually honest and make an argument that that's a more valuable sample than the freshman year, uh, or at the very least than the aggregate sample. And if you're looking then at the aggregate sample, it's, it's worse than Desmond Bain uh, at the very least. Um, but yeah, uh, th- this, was, this was rough. This was not good. Yeah, it, it certainly wasn't the best pick in the world. Um, Neesmith 
as a sophomore, just just again, like not even close to the shooter that 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 Desmond Bain is over the stable sample, um, over four years. Neesmith, not even that much younger than Desmond Bain, um, not that much younger. Um, so, yeah. But but I mean, by all accounts, a, a great dude and can can shoot and. Uh... Hopefully it works out. I think there's a reason for optimism with the defense in Boston in particular. Um, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, we will. So next we're going to go on to um, another Knicks selection. That is Emmanuel Quickly, who, what was he, like 24, 25, 25 I think? 25, I believe. I'll double 20, check. 25. It was, yes, one, of their it was tra- 20, one of their traded picks. Um, just, again, a real shocker to see someone like Quickly go go high. Um, it makes a lot of sense that the Knicks are prioritizing spacing since their their spacing is one of the worst in the league, and especially next to RJ Barrett and Obi and Mitchell Robinson, their their core needs spacing to function. But passing on guys like like Desmond Bain and Isaiah Joe, um, with uh, you know with the, with those guys on the board and taking Emmanuel quickly is really confusing. Um, quickly, obviously, a very very good shooter, um, an elite free throw shooter. Uh, an awesome volume and versatile shooter off of movement, a little off of the dribble as well. But just being six foot three and being a shooting specialist is kind of not enough to be a real NBA player, or at least a really, really valuable one. It's quickly just not an advantage creator, not a great playmaker, um, just too small and and not really brilliant enough or strong enough to be an impactful defender. Just again, I I could see the Knicks trying to like play quickly at like point guard at some points and like have him try to create and, that's just not going to go well. He he also needs to be kind of used as as an off-screen bomber. Um, and I'm – color me skeptical of the Knicks actually doing that full-time with Quickly. Um, I think in theory he could, like, help open the floor for them. Uh, but just the value just it, it is not good here. Yeah, I just worry so much about what happens when Quickly gets run off the line. Uh, I think it's almost guaranteed to be bad from a decision-making standpoint, from a getting to and finishing at the rim standpoint. Um, like he's got some touch on his runner, I guess. Uh, there, there's just there's not a lot to like there except for for catch shooting, uh, and that's just not it's just not a top twenty-five pick. That's not a first-round pick. Um, I think that that's something that I've seen people you know arguing for Neesmith as well. That if he just hits spot ups, then it's fine. But no, that's that. Lots of guys can just hit spot ups. You don't spend a lottery pick on that. You don't spend a top twenty-five pick on that if it's a six-three guy who just hits spot ups. Uh, those guys are available, and there are guys who can do far more than that. Uh, I think the Knicks signed Miles Powell as an undrafted free agent, either yep. to a two-way or, or I, I think to a two-way. I, I think Miles Powell is probably a better prospect than yeah, than yeah, like, I agree. Same tier, of course, but but. <laughs> You know, yeah, I mean, Powell's just as good, um, if not better, at the one skill that quickly is good at, plus like some actual playmaking ability. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and just like, yeah, it's just like a much more diverse scorer. Um, yeah, yeah, Even if so, similar issues, but like still, like, yeah, six three catch shooters. Yeah, not, it's not like valuable. shooting is, is really, really important, but I think there's just a misunderstanding of what else you need. Like, you need more than spot-up shooting to be a valuable fourth or fifth starter. You need ancillary skills. You need plus decision-making or a little bit of handling or, or, or some special passing or finishing or cutting or foul drawing or something. You Which is why something. we like Desmond Bain so much as, as a, a guy to be picked in the 20s because he is that elite-level shooter, or not NBA elite-level shooter, a high-level shooter who has all of the ancillary skills you could want. He's got the team defense. He's got 
very plus playmaking for the role. Um, like he, great decision making. Like exactly. Like we, he has all the ancillary skills you want. That's why he's a good bet to be a solid rotation player, or maybe in the right situation, a, a bad starter. Like that, he he has the ancillary skills that you want that may that bring a guy over the top instead of just being a shooter. Yeah, and quickly brings you none of that, and just very concerning. Okay, next we have um, we have that uh, that I'm only going to talk about once because it causes me too much pain. Uh, the Celtics at 26 selected, like probably my single least favorite player in the draft, uh, Peyton Pritchard, point guard out of Oregon. Um, going through this quickly. Uh, so, so I don't have to think about it too much. Um, I don't trust him to create good shots for himself. He's, he's a good shooter and a really talented college shot maker as a small guard. But the diet of shots that he lives on is incredibly difficult and unsustainable. And that's why you saw a variation in his, in his shooting percentages across uh, his years at Oregon. He really just takes tough shots. He is not a good decision maker at all. He's really a score first guard and uh, leaves a lot on the table as a decision maker. And then defensively, I thought he was pretty terrible at Oregon, just like dying on every screen, uh, really conceding a ton of dribble penetration. Like he would just halfway through a drive, just like totally give up. Um, maybe that gets better with a more reasonable offensive role. I consider me skeptical for a guy who's also really old. Um, I just don't think he's, much of an NBA bet. I think that the absolute upside you're looking at with him is like a third or fourth guard. Uh, that's crazy to me to take in the first round. Uh, is he you, better than Brad Wanamaker at his peak? Oh, God, no. No, I think yeah. Wanamaker is a pretty good player. Yeah, I do as well. Is he better than Trey Waters? Almost certainly not. Oh, right? No chance. No yeah. chance. Um, no, Waters is really talented. Like, Yeah, so I thought this was really awful. Um, yeah. It was made even more painful by Malachi Flynn going three picks later. And that's just going to be something that's so painful to track that with that divisional rival, you're going to have Malachi Flynn, who I believe in so much. And then you've got Pritchard, who I, I think is, is, is not even the best NBA bet. Um, yeah, that one was rough. That one, I like Neesmith, I can make the case for. I can understand the logic with Neesmith. I can, I can see a way to it, to it working out. Pritchard, it's tough. Uh, I think what you're shooting for is something that's not that valuable in the first place, and I don't think he's a good bet to be that. Um, this this was, yeah, I think one, one of the worst picks of the night for sure. Yeah, I mean, the traits you look for in backup point guards, you want some kind of – if they're a backup point guard who, who's going to run your run your bench offense, you want some kind of advantage creation. Um, if not, or even if they are, you want sound decision-making, someone who's not going to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, and you want defense. So, yeah, Peyton Pritchard gives you none of that, um, which is a, a real, real issue. As he, he's not better than any of the backup guards the Celtics have slash have had. He doesn't really do any of the things that you want your backup your, your backup initiators to do. It's, it, yeah, it's just end of the value. But I think both of us had him, like, in the, in the 70s or 80s. Like, it, 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 it's just a baffling selection to me like especially like, like, like given all of the guards like we talked about the guard depth and like you know some guards are going to get get picked higher some are going to fall some might go higher than we expect i don't think we expected peyton pritchard to go this high 
um, you know, passing on Nico and Dotson and Terry and Riller and all of these guys and Trey Jones, even and Malachi Flynn. It's, it's confusing. It's really confusing. Yeah, not, not good. Um, all right, next we've got, well, I guess this, this next one is, is kind of a group. It's, it's these traditional bigs who went throughout the first and early second uh, specifically, Udoka Azubuki at 20... What did it end up being? 7 to the Jazz? Yeah. 20, 27, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Doak, 27 to the Jazz. Isaiah Stewart, 16 to the Pistons. Uh, we can throw Carey at 32 to the Hornets. Oturu at 33 to um, the Clippers. Even and Nick Richards again. Nick Ri- yeah, Nick Richards was the other one I was thinking at 42. Also to Charlotte, I believe. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about this a bit later. Uh but all of these traditional big men, it seemed like they were – I thought that they were – a lot of them were going to fall, and that didn't end up happening. It happened with the guards, but it didn't really happen with the bigs. Um, to talk specifically about a few of them, I guess, uh, Doak at 27. Like, I th- I like Doak. I think he fills a specific role. He can be a lob threat. He can play short minutes. Um, he can bring some rim protection. He's not going to be a mobile option. He's not going to stretch the floor. He's not going to play huge minutes. Like he, he fills a very, very specific role would have been totally fine in like the top half of the second, even, but to spend a first round pick on a guy who's going to play such a narrow role as a center is just weird. It's just, a, it, it's, it's similar to Pritchard. It's just, what are you hoping for here? You're not drafting Doke because you think that someday he could be a, a 25 minute a game starting center. I don't think, I hope not. You're, you're drafting him to fill a small role, and that's such I mean, a it weird... seems they drafted him as their immediate Tony Bradley replacement, with, with yeah, which... a, a very confusing use of a 27th overall pick with with lots of players of, of really of significant need for the Jazz that they could have addressed. I mean, the, the Jazz, I mean, later in the second, they, they took Saban Lee, which was an unexpected pick, but but filled the need for, for some half uh, I don't know. No, Saban Lee. Oh, wait, no, that's the... That Pistons, was the Pistons. Right? It was yeah. their pick, but it went to yeah. the Pistons. They got yeah. Elijah Hughes. That's right. I remember that. In the Just, second. Never mind. Um, but still, you know, like players like Bain and Joe and, and even like Dotson, there were there were prospects that fit their needs of, of shot creation and rim pressure and, and playmaking on the wing. Um, and, and backup big, presumably, I didn't think was that big of an issue for the Jazz. So unless they just really like Udoka, I mean, I again, I am also a, a fan a fan of Doke. I think he could be a, a, a pretty solid rotation player. Um, again, like on a team with Rudy Gobert, like it, it just, it, it, again, the value is, is, is less stark than Pritchard, still a confusing use of assets and a confusing fit nonetheless. Um, yeah, it's just a, a weird one for sure. And, and then we've got Oturu at 33, second year in a row that the Clippers have traded up for a big man who's not that good. I, this was I think Stewart is probably worse because it was just a much higher pick. But 33 is a very real pick. There were really good prospects on the board, including like Xavier Tillman, who like ate Oturu whole both times that they played this year um, and dominated the conference that Oturu played in. Um, Oturu is just, he's just not good. Like, I don't really think that he's much of an NBA prospect. He's a, I, I still don't understand what the appeal is with him. I guess he's a rebounding specialist. I don't think that he's a compelling like shooting big man, that's I guess what people say. I I don't really buy that that much. I don't think there's that much reason for that. And he's a terrible, terrible defensive player. He cannot defend a pick and roll to save his life. Um, yeah, I don't understand what the appeal with 
with him was at all. I don't, I don't get this pick. It's yeah. weird. Taking him like a couple spots ahead of Tillman is just crushing. Like, yeah, it's just I baffling. I mean, from... Taking like the, the worst passing big in the draft two years in a row, <laughs> it's really like they've got a type. Um, especially when when I think one of the Clippers' biggest needs is, is playmaking and like a legit dribble handoff uh, facilitating big. I think would unlock a lot for that offense. Um, and they had the best one in the draft sitting yeah. there for them to take. Uh, I think Tillman would have been a really really good fit on on the Clippers. Um, and yeah, just and then and then they're stored at sixteen. And yeah, this one was stunning. I don't really know what they could possibly. I, I mean, they, to go from taking Killian to taking Stewart at sixteen is was was rough, especially with with who was on the board. That there were some real compliments to Killian available. That there was Maxi available. There was Hampton available. That they could have gotten a guard who could bring the rim pressure that you need alongside Killian, and they went for Isaiah Stewart, who, like we talked about with Killian, you want like ideally a dual threat, roll pop big man. And Stewart is neither, like he can't jump, so he's not a lob threat. And I think that the idea that some people have of him as a shooting big is possible. I think it's more possible than Oturu, but I I don't know that there's that much reason to bet on it. Uh, he can't move at all. He can't jump. I don't really think that he's an NBA player. It, 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 I, I don't, yeah, this one, this one, this one is tough. Uh, yeah, we talked about um, the Pistons would definitely be good to get a long-term big compliment to Killian. Obviously, you want someone who can, who can pop with him, who, who, who's a lob target. Uh, I guess maybe they think Stewart is that. Um, I mean, he. I don't think he is. I, I, I'm very shocked, shocked if he was that. Um, the idea of getting a big compliment to Killian makes sense. Yeah, just, just given the value um, of who else was on the board – how many positions of need that, that other positions of need they could have filled with just great talent like Maxi Poku, yeah, it's a confusing one. Yeah, I, I I can understand a lot of other picks. This one, this one is tough to swallow. This one, I I I don't understand at all. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect. With many teams strutting their stuff, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Support for the Prep to Pro NBA Draft podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's blow-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I am talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. The Lawn Mower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package 3.0, which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting it on the smelliest part of your body? And yes, your balls stink. 
Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Yeah. Um, all right, that's the last of our least favorite picks. Um, let's get into some things to, to track going forward. Uh, something that we talked about a lot throughout the process was, was high leverage physical developments. If you want to listen to more on that, we, we have a couple episodes specifically on that. But I'm very curious to track how LaMelo Ball develops physically. You know, How does his core strength come along? How does his balance come along? Does he make strides as a finisher? Uh, is he able to play through contact more? Is he more balanced on his jumper? Uh, Killian Hayes, do the, do the athletic uh, improvements continue? Um, uh, Obi Toppin and Jalen Smith, can their hips get better? Is that, is that at all possible? I'm very doubtful of that because, you know, their hips aren't going to get wider, but like, can Jalen Smith get more flexible in his hips? That, that seems possible. Maybe I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of it, but we'll see Isaiah Joe. Can he get a lot stronger and, and therefore, you know, improve his jumper accuracy and, and his ability to fight through screens uh, and maybe get to the rim more. You know, that's a, that's a potentially very high leverage improvement area. Uh, and there are, there are more of these guys, but just tracking how the physical physical development works for this class with a lot of guys who stand to gain a ton from developing physically in specific areas. I think it'll be a fascinating thing to keep watch. Yeah. And and then one more thing that we're tracking of is, it's just how these prospects that need specialized contexts and, and very tailored roles to thrive do um, starting with the Coro um, are the Cavs going to commit to maybe using him in off ball motion, getting him working downhill off of the ball or with an advantage, um, you know, just u- using his slashing and his burst and his finishing and, and kind of mitigating his, his, his spot up shooting weakness. Denny are, are, are the wizards going to not ask him to create, use, use him in transition, have him as a secondary, you know, cutter playmaker and, and weak side rim protection precious. Like we talked about last time, are the heat going to commit, going to commit to using pressures as a straight five um, and as a compliment, not as a compliment to bam on the floor, but as a backup and as another piece. And, and, and like how close can they get him to being, to being bam like especially yeah, right. on the defensive end like like how much progress can you make with with getting him to be less jumpy on offense like how can you turn him into a real switch everything guy i'm a little skeptical because i think i think that that jumpiness is kind of always going to be there but but if you can get him to be you know viable in switch everything that's that's a huge it's a high leverage application of him yeah, and like, can again, can is Boston going to commit to 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 applying Aaron Neesmith in a way that's going to have him succeed? There's a, again a lot of these really specialized prospects that need specific roles to succeed and can have a lot of success if if they're used in that role. But just to to what extent teams are willing, um, teams understand their their player strengths and limitations and how they're willing to optimize those. Yeah, I mean, we talk so much about context throughout this entire process because this is such a context-dependent draft, and those questions aren't answered on draft night. For for some of these guys, they are answered. For Halliburton, I think they were answered, and they were answered super well. He ends up in a great spot. Uh, for Denny, I think they were answered. He, he also ends up in a spot where they've got two big-time creators, and honestly, he, we probably should have mentioned him along favorite picks that, that you know, maybe, I guess, a little bit of a reach, but I think right tier and a really good spot to get a lot out of him. Um, so I, I, some of those questions were answered, but certainly not all of them. Neesmith wasn't answered. Like uh, Precious wasn't answered. Um, you know, a, a lot of these, a lot of these things are, are still TBD. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just something that we're gonna have to track for years to come because I wouldn't expect that, that we'll necessarily see 
you know, Boston overhaul and offense for Neesmith in year one, but maybe in a very, very limited role in year one, it looks like he, maybe he does look like a more of a special shooter than we thought. And in year two or three or four, that they, they are making adjustments to really uh, get a high volume of Aaron Neesmith movement threes. And, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe he does take well to this defensive, to this defensive scheme and he is able to, to impact shots a lot at the rim. Um, you know, it, it'll just be interesting to see how how the context does actually end up influencing the, the outcomes that we see for these guys. Yeah. And then there's some general takeaways and trends. Um, the first one that we talked about a little more is the teams are still drafting limited uh, limited bigs. I think there's kind of an ideology out there that, like, bigs are, like, running backs. Like, they don't matter. I, I definitely think that's not true. Um, bigs, while they are certainly more replaceable and more fungible than someone like than like, like wings, special bigs with real like specialized skills like a Kongu's coverage versatility or Naji's movement or, or Tillman's decision making and strength and screening and all that, those high leverage skills are not replaceable and very useful in a playoff setting. But these kind of like more ground bound plotting bigs without perimeter skill or decision making or weak side rim protection, those those types are replaceable and are easy to find players who can fill that role if you even want to fill that with you probably shouldn't be and like like we talk about with 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 stewart with 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 udoka with oturu with carry with richards these bigs seem to still be valued to a pretty solid extent which is certainly interesting given the direction the league is going i mean maybe with you know the league is getting like bigger like with you know bigger initiators and creators but that's not in like bigger traditional bigs it's bigger and more skills that's uh, definitely an interesting trend to track to see if teams maybe you know continue to value that in future drafts. Yeah, I if you're not getting a once in history talent like Nikola Jokic, a big is not going to be the center of your offense, and therefore is is probably not going to be the the ultimate team building piece. However, like the perfect big man is probably like the perfect complementary piece and really a significant ceiling raiser. I mean, you see how much of a ceiling raiser Anthony Davis is by being the team defense and coverage versatile, uh, like key that he is while also getting his offense in ways that, that are just, you know, clean up duty and, and not necessarily something that has to be central to your offense, not something that you have to, really build around it just kind of happens naturally and and is very very additive in, a, in an easy way um that sort of guy is super valuable that's why onyeka kongu is super valuable that's why someone like tillman is potentially very valuable or killian tilly uh but it's the it's these you know a guy who's 6 11 can't move laterally can't jump is a post-up college big man who's good at that in college like that's not going to be the center of your offense what what is he going to be in the NBA? What like I guess Vernon Carey is not the best example because I do think that he has some some like role man ability and and maybe some face face up ability and and maybe could shoot and and is kind of nimble. But what is Isaiah Stewart, who is a post up big man in college? What is a guy who's six eight, can't jump, can't, doesn't pass, like can't really handle, uh, as of now can't can't really shoot like. What is this guy in the NBA? He's not a post-up big man. You're not posting up Isaiah Stewart. So is he playing as a role man? What pick and roll coverage is he playing? I don't understand how this guy is supposed to generate value. Um, I'm curious what the Pistons think. I'm curious how they're going to try to use him. But I'm certainly skeptical of the value. And the same thing applies to Oturu and um, 
less so Doak. Doak fits a, a very specific role, and and it's just a question of how much value you can get out of him. But I just don't know what you're doing if you're if you're drafting Isaiah Stewart or Daniel Oturu. Like, what what is the plan there? Uh, and the NBA continues to do it. You have these all these guys going in the top thirty-five. Uh, it was weird, definitely weird. Yeah, and the next trend is as we talked about a little before. Just the like we see how much the league value shooting. We know how much the league value shooting. They continue to just push the bounds of how much the league value shooting. Um, the Jalen Smith pick, um, most emblematic of this as well, valuing shooting, valuing three point percentage. Uh, specifically as you know don't they don't value as much a guy like maxi who was a bad three-point shooter in college but is an obviously good shooter value a guy like sticks and someone like neesmith who has the 50 to percent three-point value a guy like quickly um someone like pritchard um who are all yeah. like accomplished shooters like it's like like i think the priority makes sense like spacing is king in the modern nba but there's just a misapplication of it to me at least and um i think the smart teams are taking advantage of that so. Yeah, the seeming reliance on three point percentage is is weird, and and we don't have. I mean, I'm not confident necessarily in my ability to pro, to project shooting out, but I don't think that going out, especially off of one year shooting percentage is the way to do it. I mean, if if you flipped Aaron Neesmith's shooting seasons, it seems highly unlikely that he would go in the lottery. If Cole Anthony shot to his true talent level, I think there's no way he goes at 15, and probably he might go 10 spots higher. Um, Tyrese Maxey, the same thing is true. If he, if he shot at his true talent level, there's no way he falls to the 20s. Um, and then quickly, you know, again, if you flip his his shooting seasons, there's not a chance he goes in the first round. He probably doesn't get drafted if you flip his shooting seasons. So I think that this reliance on three-point percentage that we know is such an unstable uh, metric on that small, small sample, I think that it's, it's kind of a recipe for disaster that, that – a shooting evaluation, uh, it's a tough thing to do, but but I think strides definitely need to be made there because it, it's just it's not great if you're if you're drafting Emmanuel Cookley because he is supposedly an elite shooter. If if he's not actually a special shooter at six three, um, that's I mean even if he is a special shooter at six three, I was gonna say even if he is, out. it's uh, it's not it's not looking great. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, I think that's. That's probably all we've got on the 2020 NBA draft. Yeah. Um, that's all wow. this plus the other 69 episodes that we've done on it. I mean. Unbelievable. That's crazy. All right. Catching eye? Yep. Uh, do you want to go first or should I? Um, I think you have the big one, so you can go first. All right. Let's talk some Keon Johnson. I am still working my way through the Keon Johnson film. Uh, for people who are just now becoming – aware of Keon because we're at the start of a new draft cycle, Ben. Uh, we have, we've talked, Yay. we have talked Keon some on this podcast. Uh, we definitely talked about him with, with Ross Homan, who is the foremost Keon Johnson fan in the world. Keon is a six, four, six, five combo guard. Who's going to be playing at Tennessee next week. Um, next he, week. Yes. Keon is an unbelievable athlete a ridiculously absurdly special guard athlete the most bonkers vertical leaper like off one off two through contact insane insane vertical athlete crazy bursty um there are issues with him from like a field standpoint from a handling standpoint uh the shot is somewhere between not good and good uh i think there's a reason for optimism 
I don't really, it, it's tough to evaluate shooting uh, for young guys. I don't know where Keon's at. That's going to be really important for his projection, but it's, it's, for, it's not a disaster. Um, but the thing I wanted to talk about right now, because I'm still, still in progress with the Keon evaluation is his like spatial awareness is really unique. And I know that this is something that Ross has talked about. I haven't fully read his, his big Keon piece because I'm, I'm waiting until I have my own thoughts but I know that this is something that he's talked about, the Keon spatial awareness. Just his usage of space is very unique. That he his movements and ability to, to create space and move in space are are really unique. That he 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 gathers perfectly and creates contact perfectly to create angles for finishes. That he seems to know just the right amount to use his really good body control to contort out of the way to still get contact and get a foul called but maintain his balance and have a reasonable chance of finishing. It's like he has this sixth sense for, for where he exists in space. And it's really incredible to watch. It's, it's hard to explain, but just this set, this, this feel for getting himself open with little bumps, this, this feel for off the ball for, for freeing himself up with little shoves and little like change, like little feints and change of direction. It's really unique the way that he just operates on a basketball court. Um, it's it's fascinating. Uh, I don't really know how to describe it. I think Ross has some some fancy term that he's gotten from biomechanics people. Um, check out check out Ross's piece on Keon, of course. Um, but really really fascinating guy physically, uh, special true like truly special physically. Uh, and I, I'm especially like like I said with it, with his ability to create space on and off the ball with with like subtle nudges and stuff like that when he is in the Tennessee strength and conditioning program when when those bumps when those like like perfectly timed up gather and dips his shoulder into the guy's chest when that's post Tennessee strength and conditioning those guys are going to be thrown 35 feet because Keon's already like pretty strong but Tennessee strength and conditioning oh my god I mean he he's going to be a total monster uh I'm excited to see where his handling's at where the shot's at uh, where his decision making is at, like I don't like the way he reads the floor at all as as a guy with the ball in his hands, but really special physically uh, in in a cool and unique way. Yeah, I think another big reason for positivity with Keon for me, um, I I think I'm more done with Keon than, than you are at this point. Um, is that I think he really is on a positive development curve. Uh, really did improve kind of kind of noticeably and significantly from um, his last season of AAU to his senior season of high school. Where obviously, yes, uh, the, the competition level is is not great, and obviously you see him dominating physically in a way that he should. Um, he just like lives at the rim, gets all of the easy buckets, which is what you want to see from him. It's it, it's nothing that spectacular, but what is really impressive, I think, how about kind of that that spatial awareness feel for creating space? I think he's just improving as his court mapping as well. I think the decision making, he's just like processing the game. Things are moving slower for him. His decision making is better. Uh, he's making more basic reads still nothing super complex but he's making more basic reads consistently not not really missing the passes that they, that they used to miss um yeah and again I, and again I, I think he's getting craftier um the handle's a little better i think he's better at using deceleration and and change of direction in the paint to create space for himself um apart from his incredible physical tools which you can use whenever he wants but at the highest level he's gonna need a little more um to, to create space consistently against the best defenders. And then I do think the shot has really progressed as well. Besides just looking nicer, I think he's more confident shooting um, first most off the dribble, but definitely off of movement. 
um, where I think he flashed a little more than in UIBL or not, not UIBL in um, Adidas. Um, but yeah, overall, like the, the development curve plus his, I'm pretty, he's pretty young too, right? I believe he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's young too, as well for the class, the incredible physical tools. I mean, that's, that's like a pretty surefire top five prospects next year. Um, I'm not going to have him too, like Ross, I think, just because I have role concerns um, and, and a little worry about um, just the, the general skill. But the development is great. There's probably not two better landing spots in the country for him than Tennessee, um, especially playing next to another really, really high-level guard prospect in Jaden Springer. So, yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Keon end up as Keon end up top three on my board by the end of the year, like he, he is really, really good. Just a, a one of a kind physical talent um, with, I think, positive skill improvement and feel improvement um, in terms of his playmaking and decision-making. Yeah. A, a really, really good prospects. Definitely one of the ones I'm most excited to watch. Yeah. Um, and I, whenever this comes out, he'll play soon after he might play the day after this comes out because yeah, this college will be basketball, Next yeah, college, Wednesday. College basketball is so is so soon. That means that when if you're listening to this on Wednesday when it comes out, tomorrow at eleven AM Eastern is or no, sorry, not tomorrow, two days. Two days from from, from uh when you're listening to this on Wednesday. Eleven AM Eastern is Auburn Gonzaga. Sharif against Jalen Suggs. Oh Sharif's my god. Season, Suggs, oh my god. I can't wait. I, I I'm so excited. It's a huge it's a huge test early. Uh I'm so excited for Suggs also because we love Suggs. Excited for um, Anton Watson. Um, yeah. It'll be fun. Like, Ho- hopefully Anton Watson was better than he was in the Gonzaga scrimmage because that was ugly, but it was a scrimmage. So, um, yeah, uh, excited. College basketball is here. We're going to be watching Cade. We're going to be watching BJ. We're going to be watching Zaire. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Jalen Johnson on the weird, the weird-ass Duke roster. I mean – yeah, Bizarro Duke. It's gonna be an absolute show. Like, um, I'm so excited. Yeah. We've already got we've already got international games. We've got the Garuba games piling up, the Roko games, uh, Allison, everything. Oh man, it's it's, it's wonderful. It, it's, it's really 2021 draft season. Um, I'm so speaking, excited. Speaking of Duke, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, about Jamin Brakefield, who is another one of their one of their many weird freshmen who I originally liked quite a bit, but I have moved down on considerably. Um, just like the, like he, he, he is like a six foot seven, six foot eight guy with a real dribble pass shoot skill set. Like he, like he has nice shooting touch and nice floater touch. Um, he shows playmaking flashes with both hands, ambidextrous finishing and ball handling. He's just like such a bad and weird decision maker. Um, like he, like on offense, like he one can't create any space for himself on the ball in, in one-on-one situations has, has really no burst or strength or vertical exp- or vertical explosion in tight spaces. He can definitely get up um, w- with some room, but in tight spaces where it's more functional, it, it, it fails to compare him. Just makes weird decisions on offense, like, like passes that you'd think he'd make that he just doesn't. And then on defense, like he's just like late on every rotation. Like he's consistently late on just about everything. Like just, just a half second late, helping the helper or getting back in transition. Um, but like he'll occasionally make a play and he's like pretty, pretty capable laterally for a guy his size, but just, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and he's also really old for his class as well. So I, and I'm just confused at what he's going to do for Duke. I mean, I think his spacing is going to definitely help them. Um, he's going to be able to attack closeouts with his playmaking and the ambidextrous finishing and dribbling just more, more, more skeptical of what his NBA role actually is as someone who is a bad decision maker that can't create, 
create advantages. Isn't an overwhelming athlete. Is old for the class. Um, still someone I've ranked in my top 60 just because I'm slightly optimistic about the skill set. But yeah, um, no, I'm not. Def- I'm definitely not the Jamin fan I used to be. Uh, quite the contrary. I think he's probably like, like, like I don't know, like the sixth best prospect on that team. Like seventh. I don't know. I don't know. It, they have a bunch of good, a bunch of good prospects, and I don't really think Jamin is among them. Uh, ben, you've seen the light. We're happy. We're happy to have you. Um, yeah. Would you like to do your next one? Yeah. Um, more fun one. Um, I have Xavier sophomore big Zach Fremantle. Um, re- real catching eye roots got kind of guy here. Um, I-, I caught him watching UConn Xavier earlier in the year, prepping for for more book night. Um, and just finishing up with Najee Marshall stuff. He had one of the best big man defensive games I've ever, like I've seen in a long time. Like he was spectacular. It it, it was really, really unique. Um, he, he, just his rim protection was unbelievable um, in, in really every way. He had timing blocks and transition where he, where he'd kind of contort his body and place his hand perfectly to, to, to get the rim. He'd flip his hips and drop against a quick guard and rise quickly for a block. He'd come from the weak side after he gets beat, after he gets beat on a switch, peel down and, and spike a shot off the backboard on the first pass. It's just kind of ridiculous. His ability to move and, to move at six foot nine, about probably two thirty. Not a crazy vertical athlete or anything, but his mobility and 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 hip flexibility and drop, even on a couple switches, was totally unreal. Like it was bonkers. Um, definitely like um, not gonna like put too much stock into that one game. Um, pretty much does nothing on offense at this point. But um, that rim protection and that big man defense, despite being limited, you know, size wise and athletically. Um, certainly something to track. Probably, I don't know if he's ever actually an NBA player. Um, will probably be a really good college player at some point. Maybe when he's a senior, if his offense develops, he can be a fringy guy. But like, the rim protection is is so ridiculous. Like, it, it was unbelievable. Um, and I think there is potentially something real with him to track. As you know, if he ends up shooting, maybe um, if he continues to play like this, uh, just a guy who I'm gonna keep my eye on for next year. So. I have no Zach Fremantle takes. I'm I'm curious to, to pay attention yeah. to him. Yeah, I figured you wouldn't. <laughs> All right. Is that it? A bow on, yeah. on 2020? I think that, yeah, I think that's – wow. Yeah, that, that is our bow on, on the 2020 class. Uh, it's been – Real. It's been quite a 17 months for, for the cycle. Quite a – what, like seven or eight months for this podcast. Yeah, um, let's never spend that much time on one draft ever again. Uh, let's hope we never have to. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so thank you all for listening, as always, today and through all of our 2020 content this year. You can follow the pod on Twitter at prep2propod. You can follow Max at Max A. Carlin. Follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. And with that, we'll catch you all next time.